Hi everyone, Tash here. Before we kick off this week's podcast, I just wanted to let you know I've scheduled a round of fresh workshops for 2021. If you want to go to www.casadecambio.com.au for more information. Thanks. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Casa de Cambio. Hi. This, hello. Hi, Tesh. Nice to be here. Oh, nice to have you here too, Josephine. So on this episode of Casa de Cambio, we have Josephine Palermo and you started Geared for Growth. I did, yes. So welcome to the podcast, Josephine. Thank you. Thank you. Um, before we get into our topic for the day, mm-hmm. there are a couple of questions I ask every guest who comes on Casa de Cambio. Mm-hmm. And the first one is, what are you currently watching, reading or listening to? Um... I'm actually, I love podcasts, (laughs) so I'm listening to a lot of podcasts and um, I do have a guilty um, uh, pleasure. I actually love uh, true crime podcasts and my favourite true crime podcast at the moment is Morbid. I love it and and I think it's because I love the mystery and the problem solving and, you know, they're they're true um, stories Um, and I love... The nat- I love kind of delving into the nature of people, so I love that. Um, and um, and I love ABC's All in the Mind. Mm. I love that. It's, it's a, it explores mental health from a very intimate position. Um, and then in terms of, I guess, um, in terms of, I guess, some books that I'm looking, I'm reading at the moment, sort of what's on my shelf. Um, I've got um, Daniel Kahn's um, Thinking Fast and Slow and um, I've got um, Good to Great from Jim Collins. Um, mm. Um, and I've got um, Effective Teams by Richard Hackman. So they're kind of the, the books. But, um, yeah, Guilty Pleasures is podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> True <great>. crime. <laughs> great. Um, they're all fantastic recommendations. Thank you. Um, I've been listening to your podcast a little bit as well. <laughs> so you have a podcast too. I do. I do. Our podcast is Gears Action Growth. And I do that with the lovely Christy Mori, um, who's my partner in crime. And we just really talk about psychology in business so the Mm. the kinds of issues that people uh, confront about people in business and we just have um, conversations that flow about that yeah so for the listeners if you want more podcasts about change um, I actually had someone asking for more podcast recommendations apart from my own this morning hi Michael (laughs) I see you Um, so yeah get on to that it's where all good podcasts are hosted Uh, And the next question is, what was the best career advice you ever received? Mm. You know, I've had a lot of really good career advice, but I think the earliest career advice that I remember was um, one of my mentors, women mentors, said to me, um, ensure that you build power in other power bases because there will come a time where you are not the prettiest young thing in the room. Mm. And I thought when she gave me that advice, I was taken a little bit aback, but now I really understand it. And I understand that her intention was from the heart and she was, it was a positive intention. But what she really meant was ensure that I'm developing all facets of myself as a woman in business and not just relying on some of the power bases that come from, um, 
the external um, expressions of femininity. And I know we're going to delve into that a little bit today in the conversation, but mm. I think that particularly sometimes young women um, are um, unaware of the power differentials that, that kind of surround them in their environment. And so, um, and I, I think I was aware, but, but not as aware as I thought I was when I was a young woman. Yeah, yeah, good advice, good advice. And that is a good segue into today's topic. So the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was you did a PhD in gendered psychology. Yeah. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about what you found as a result of uh, conducting those studies? Yes, yes. So I did um, I did a PhD um, because I was really curious about the question of what is it about women in business and management uh, that creates barriers for um, organisations and for for particularly women in business? And and I was looking at it from a social psychological perspective, so a systems perspective. So I was looking at what is it about organisational culture that particularly um, creates barriers for women and for men who don't want to um, necessarily express themselves in a traditional masculine way. And so I used a model by um, a theorist called uh, Bakan, um, and he's from the 60s. So mm-hmm. the, the lovely thing about doing a PhD is you read widely and deeply, and it's yep. a privilege to do it. It's the only time in my life where I get the time. Um, but um, but anyway, Bakan um, had a theory or a model of um, – uh, gender that said that um, particularly we have two forces. One is an agentic force and one is a communal force. And agency or the agentic force that operates in organisations, it operates on our personality, it actually creates our sex roles or our um, stereotypical um, sex roles, is where uh, you want to differentiate yourself. So, um, so ag- agency as expressed in personality is where you're independent, where you, you want a lot of autonomy. It's a self-concept around really being different from others. Whereas the more communal orientation if as expressed in personality is where, for example, you want to connect with people, you're interdependent, you understand um, and are aware of others uh, you're more nurturing I- in that environment because you understand that connections and relationships are important. And what Bacan was saying was basically that the feminine sex role um, is uh, is kind of attributed to communion and the masculine sex role is attributed to agency. And what that really means in kind of normal terms is men are more likely to be agentic and women are more likely to be communal yeah. and the life course is about going from, for women, a communal state to a more agentic state and for men, going from an agentic state to finding that connection and going into a more communal state. So I was really fascinated about the contribution that women can make and, and um, what I found in my studies, because I looked at um, three different organisations and I um, I interviewed their managers, I assessed their culture and I, I did a lot of tests on their individuals. And what I really found was that women could express themselves in masculine terms as easily as men. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the barrier for women was where they didn't see that communal orientation expressed in the organisational culture. In other words, they looked around and they didn't see any of those nurturing 
uh, relationship-based characteristics in organisations. The roles that they were playing were weren't um, expressive of that. They weren't allowed to bring that to their or mm. to their environment, and that created barriers for women. Yeah. And that started me in some ways with my life passion on bringing your whole self to work. So I have this motto yeah. about bringing your whole self to work because that's what really creates that psychological well-being and organisational effectiveness anyway. Great, great. Um, yeah, I think there's quite a lot to unpack there. That would have been super interesting to do and to do all of that reading, particularly about gender and all the studies associated with that. I would love to um, be in a position to do that. But I guess... Talking about women and their agency mm. and women and, you know, who can step into their power, what does, in your opinion, help women flourish in the workplace? Mm. You know, I think that women need an environment where they are able to be recognised for their strengths. Mm -hmm. And and look, not all women are the same. So we, we, we can – I, w I want to kind of have a caveat on all the conversations today. We're going to talk about women. But obviously mm -hmm. you have a lot of differences amongst women. But in the main – and this is what research tells us as well – women um, require an organisation where they are recognised for the, um, the strengths that they bring and that they are – they are also recognised for um, their abilities in the ways that men are recognised for their abilities. What we have in sometimes in culture is shortcut ways to um, think about men and women, and these are just um, stereotypes. And they're just you know we expect women to to be defined by sex roles as we expect men to be defined by sex roles. What we really need is for um, business cultures to be more. Um, balanced in that way. So as a, as a business owner, for example, I'm always looking at my culture and the culture that I'm creating in business and looking at it in terms of what are the masculine ways I can do this, but what are the feminine ways that I can do this as well? Am I creating a balance between those things? Am I, for example, in anything I do, thinking about um, the more practical, planned, organised, um, you know, um, independent characteristics of something and am I thinking about the more relational, connected um, and and sort of engaged aspects of something. And, and cultures need to express both. People need to feel free to express their own gender in whichever way they want to, but also organisational cultures need to be balanced in the way that they allow for that. And I'll give you an example that relates to men too. Often mm. men don't feel like, for example, they, they're free to express their femininity in an mm. organisation because of fear of retribution or fear of being not being seen as competent. So what we need to do is keep role modelling behaviour that allows people to feel freer mm -hmm. to bring their whole self to work because... I actually um, interviewed a lot of men and have spoke, spoken to a lot of men post my PhD as well yeah. who say they would rather not have to leave all of those um, thoughts and feelings behind. You know, that they might be this incredibly caring, connected person at home. Then they step into their workplace and they feel like they have to leave that behind. And I'm saying you don't. And a lot of modern organisational cultures yeah. are where you don't have to yep. leave yourself behind yeah, at yeah, the door. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think um, one of the things about, I guess it's the patriarchy, is that it 
can be very harmful to men as well as women. Exactly. It's not just about women. It's about the um, gendered expectations or um, conditioning that happens, you know, to both men and women. Exactly. That's um, right. And for men, yeah, it can be quite damaging and hurtful as mm, well mm. Um, as women. I mean, men are killing themselves. Women are getting killed by men. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's something wrong, right? So there's something we're not doing right. Yeah, yeah. yeah correct. Yeah. Um, so talking about women, um, what are some? E- can you give me some examples of how women experience gender bias in the workplace based on what you learned and yes. what we've talked about so far? Yes, yes. So... Um, and, and I was I was particularly focusing on women in leadership positions, so I'll talk about that. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, gender bias can happen in all positions. Mm. Um, but in particular, women in um, so leadership management positions can be um, uh, often, uh, for example, achievement is yep. attributed to men more than women yep. very often, yep. regardless of whether the woman actually did the work and mm-hmm. so so there's bias that occurs there um bias also occurs in um in that um women's voices are often not either not heard or not seen as sig- as significant as men's voices yep. so for example that could be as easy as you know in any kind of meeting or forum or even within a senior leadership group the woman's voice is um less likely to influence others whereas a man can say the same thing and i I had a lot of women tell me about incidences um, where, where for example, they had an idea, they proposed an idea (laughs) and then suddenly, you know, they're not getting any traction and then suddenly the man proposes the idea and everyone jumps on board. Yeah. And, you, and the woman is left there going, what just happened there? Sometimes it happens in the same meeting. Like you'll say something a couple of – this happened. This has happened to me so many times. You'll say, I'll say something a couple of times yes. and it's just completely ignored and then a man says it and everyone's like, oh, yeah, great idea. And I'm like, that's my idea. Exactly. I actually wrote a blog um, because I went to the Women's March on Monday. Yes, fantastic. And I came home and started writing a blog. <laughs> I was like, bash, well bash, bash, well bash, bash. Yeah. And it was just a quick, I'll, I'll do a part two next mm. week, but it was just a, this is 10 ways yeah. that men, male allies can help women. And I published it to oh, LinkedIn. And yeah. But one of them was if you, if that you're a man and, you know, you're in a meeting and that happens, just say that was a really good summary of, you know, Tasha's idea or Josephine's exactly. idea. Exactly. Um, just to credit it. Yes. Because, yeah, like, men don't even know that they're doing it. And, you know, I'll give you another example mm. of that because mm-hmm. um, this is something I feel very strongly <laughs> about. Yeah. It's almost like men, men, like people don't hear us. They don't yes. he- physically hear our voices. They're not listening for it. Yes. So as you're aware, I have a podcast <laughs> um, and I have lots of male guests come on the podcast. I also have lots of female guests Mm-mm. come on the podcast. But whenever um, – this has happened to me three times now. Um, I've been introduced to someone mm. and they've said, oh – I know you, you're from Blah Blah's podcast and they say the name of a male guest. Right. And I'm like, no, that's my um, my podcast. I'm glad you like it. And I'm like, and I'm like, what? And it's happened on LinkedIn. Yes. Um, where somebody's said, oh, a great podcast and tagged the male guest and the male guest has come to me and been like, what's going on here? <laughs> I'm like, they think it's your podcast. Yes. And I'm just like, I. it's my, you know, it's like I created it yes i do all the organization i record it i edit it i market it i'm in it every single episode <laughs> it's your podcast and Tash. <laughs> have not worked out that it's, they listen yes. to a man and think oh, it's yeah his podcast. exactly it's like, what am i Chop there you liver. go like 
there you go. But it just makes me think, are they not hearing the mm. other person that's, mm. you know, hosting the pod? Like, and it is just such a thing. Yes. I didn't mean to go off on such yeah. a hardcore tangent. Sorry. <laughs> no, me. no. But that's a great example. That's And, yeah. and it's infuriating because there's nothing you're doing wrong in that mm. regard. There's nothing – but what it is is that, that bias against listening to the man's voice and yeah. expecting that voice to have more authority than your voice. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah. it's completely unintentional because yeah. when yeah. I've said, oh, that's actually my podcast, yes. they're like, oh, sorry, oh, exactly. you have a great podcast, you know, and it's very complimentary and it's not yes. intended to be um, rude um, and it's immediately corrected. Yes. But just, yeah, like just the fact that it happens, it's like, wow. Exactly. Um, and, it, and it happens, you know, and I've had some men say that that, um, you know, that uh, original thing we were talking about of suggesting an idea um, and it tends to be men who don't fit into that hyper-masculine bloke, right. bloke that we have here exactly. in our Australian culture. Um, so it does happen to men too, but mm. it happens to or, – or it happens to men uh, who are non-white – Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's another one. Because they experience otherness as well that's in correct. other forms, and so they're more sensitive to that. Correct. Exactly. But yeah. Overwhelmingly, it happens. Every woman I know um, who's working any sort of professional job has had that happen yes. to them throughout their entire yeah. career. Exactly. Yeah. And and it's because we have this bias. Um, we have a um, um, an attentional bias. So attention flows up to to authority. In any situation, regardless of whether you're talking about gender or, you know, the royal court, um, it, it's it, attention will flow up. So we are more geared to listening to people we believe are in authority than people we don't believe are in authority. We're, mm. And we're going to look – and that's why leadership role modelling is so important because we're going to look to leaders and scrutinise them every single for e- on every single action that they make. And so, so when attention flows up, um, that's where you're getting your – your bias against your, you know, sort of, of course the male is the owner because, you know, that male voice has authority. And so so there are, there are in some ways, women um, and men need to be aware of the biases that we have ingrained in our own processing of information, but also they're ingrained in our organisations and, and in any group setting that we're in. And so, so, so you're right, there are things you can do to kind of counteract those biases. It's not that those biases won't play out, but it's how do we stop and, and or ensure, put structure in place to ensure it doesn't happen. Um, so, th- so there are some biases around that. The other biases are um, believing that um, women's roles through uh, because of um, domestic labour, so you know, family, having children, so those roles will necessarily mean that they can't succeed in business and in leadership, and so that is actually a um, again again another bias. And I always think of um, a scenario in my utopia where, for example, a woman comes to her manager and says, "I'm pregnant," and the manager says. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. You know yep. what kind of skills you're going to learn during this period and you're going to come back from maternity leave and you're going to be amazing and we can't even pay for that. Mm. If we had a, an environment where we had that reaction instead of the reaction you normally get, which is, oh, oh and you know, I'm going to back have to backfill you and maternity leave, you know, all of that. So, you know, when we think about the incredible skills that people pick up because of that, that um, 
that experience. Mm. Um, I I wish we would recognise that more. And in fact, I I had a um, a woman um, come to my team when I was managing a team. Um, I was recruiting her, and she told me um, in the final stages of the recruitment that she was four months pregnant, and I was thrilled with that. Yeah. And I gave her that response, and she was worried about telling me, and yeah. she, um, you know, rightly so because of other experiences that she'd heard about. But I was thrilled because I knew that she would have to um, go through that experience but come back and she'd be amazing and it would be she would bring that was her first baby so she would bring something from that experience into our team Mm. and how wonderful it is you know to be able to develop her but also have that experience um, come back in into a team um, particularly if you if you you know manage that well but but of course the bias is also that most women are still managing the, yeah. the the bulk of that domestic labour. I mean, that's the other bias too because we yeah. expect women to just pick up the, that slack. And so, um, so of course, that's a, um, you know, that's a reality when we look at the census statistics, when we look mm. at any kind of statistics, mm. that's a reality. So, so there's a bias there. But, yeah. I, but I think the main thing is the things that we attribute to women and men. And often we have to remember there are more similarities between women and men than differences. The differences are created by our perception and our biases. And um, I... um, I, I love this story. There's a, a really seminal um, theorist in um, in um, psychological gender and just psychological gender differences. And she tells this story of um, her son because she was trying to raise her son in a gender-neutral way in right. terms of um, really giving him that awareness yeah. that, that um, biological sex is what differentiates people, not gender stereotypes. Mm. Um, this is – her name's Sandra Bem. So she's got a lot of work um, uh, under her in, in the scholarship papers but she tells uh, she, her son was went to kindergarten so it was his first yep. foray into yep. school and um he was at school and he was wearing a beret and um, you know what kids are like when they're that age they'll they'll just choose you know that yeah. that object and he um and he said that another little girl came up to him and said um you're a girl and he said no no i'm a boy and she said, no, no, you're a girl. And he said, no, 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 I'm a boy because I have a penis. And he almost, <laughs> you know, kind of went to show her. <laughs> and she said, well, everybody's got one of those, but only girls wear berets. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like, I think parents and, – and you don't know where it's – because I know so many parents um, who are trying to not – put gender stereotypes on their kids and then they play with other kids and they go to daycare and they go to kindy and it all starts creeping in because I've got a four-year-old nephew and um, I didn't get to see him for all of last year because of COVID um, but yeah. I did get to go for a visit in January. Oh, lovely. I know. Oh. Um, and he was, uh, we, you know, we've had a fantastic time and he's, um, I was putting on some makeup to get ready to go out to lunch and I said, oh, do you want to wear little bit of makeup he's like no boys don't wear makeup and I said well they can if they want to and he kind of he didn't but I just went oh yes yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. another thing that you said before I agree with you is because I think men and women are inherently the same but they get socially conditioned differently from a very young age and so it makes them different little Mm. things like you know with boys in particular they're not allowed to cry exactly they're allowed to cry when they're babies and sometimes children but they're quite young when people start saying you know you've got to that's right your emotions you can't cry yes Um, and it causes lots of problems later it does it absolutely Um, does whereas women are encouraged you know they're yes but then we're considered emotional yes Um, 
and if anything, I think in the workplace, men are the ones who actually struggle to control their temper and control we their We see emotions. a lot of bad behaviour. So there must be something going on. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, God, if I yelled at someone like that, I would be so fired. But that guy's doing it and nobody's saying anything. Exactly, exactly. So there's a lot. Um, and another thing I wanted to ask you about, because you talked about being your authentic self and you yes. know, in modern corporations, they are the ones where people are more authentically themselves. Yes. Um, how can women be themselves and have that reflect in their leadership style? Because I know I had a bit of a journey, particularly when I was younger, I was trying to be at work what I thought people wanted me to be and that was a very conservative, suit-wearing, professional lady. And I found the more, and maybe it's just part of getting older, the more I am just let that go um, and being myself, the more people accept it. But then also there are some people, you know, maybe a tiny handful of people mm. who have a problem with it. But people love it. That's been my personal experience. But yeah, yeah do you have any advice for how women can be themselves? Yeah. I, you know what? I think that you have to be clear about who you are, firstly. Because mm. I think, you know, and, and it does take sometimes a little bit of maturity. Because when you're younger, you're still working that out. Yeah. But even, even as a young woman, you can work out what are your values and then present yourself according to those values. So, for example, I have a value around um, creativity and innovation. So, I can present myself in that way. My personal brand can actually be that, which allows me a little bit more freedom away from that kind of traditional Mm. conservative Mm. corporate kind of suit. It also allows me to lead with my values. So, when I'm in a conversation, and particularly if I'm in an environment with people that are likely to be a little different or, or, you know, in some ways resistant to that style. Mm. I mean, obviously, I I can adapt my my tone a little bit as well, but I can lead with my values and say, you know what, Um, I'd like to uh, present something that's a little bit more creative or innovative than what we've been doing before. So, you lead with your values and that way you're reinforcing your values and then it makes sense. Then your Mm. persona makes sense. But it is about working out who you are and that does take some time. I I had a lot of experiences of trying to fit into a square peg too. So I, you know, I was a square peg in a round hole. Is that the, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I always get my colloquialisms mixed up because Italian was my first language and I grew up in an Italian household. So the colloquialisms are all over the place. Um, But yeah, so so I had that experience and I had a lot of mentors, female and male, trying to round off my edges because they said, if you're going to succeed in this organisation, you have to be more like this, you know, particular role. And, or, you know, gender stereotype in terms of you need to be more masculine. You need mm. to you need to come across in a more direct way, uh, in a more, um, in some ways, in less of a colourful, creative way. Um, and, and I would often get criticised. And you know what? That feedback is wonderful. It actually helped me in my yeah. life. Even feedback where that you know you, maybe you don't agree with is always wonderful feedback. But in the end, I had to work. I went back to um, working out what is it that I value? Who do I want to be? And I yeah. actually worked with a coach on that yeah. because it, sometimes you need that sounding board sometimes to sort of work yeah. out who is it that you want to be. And I do this periodically throughout my life and then I front up and then when I for example lead a team I describe myself in relation to those values mm. um, I and, and I'll give you an example of this I led a, um, a team where I had to go in and create change in the team they they 
there was a lot of change happening already. They were a team that was part, a result of a merger already. Yep. And then we had to change the way they were doing the work because there were a lot of people who were at the brink of burnout in that team. Oh, yeah. And so I went in there and I could see that a lot of change was required. I started to, tr- to implement some new goals and some new workflows and I could see it wasn't sticking because people were just um, sticking to what they had always done, you know, yep. the, the legacy yep. way of the processes. So I actually stopped the work for two weeks. Yep. I said, we are going to stop the work here. Yeah. And, and But I led with my values. I said, the reason why I want to do this is because I'm, you know, I, I, I care, one of my values, I care about you. I care about your giving you meaningful work. A lot of you are doing work that is not meaningful work and it's, it's taking up a lot of your time. You know, these guys were in back-to-back meetings all day. Oh. And, and I said, we need to shift that. And I can, I, I, so I stopped the workflow and had a lot of backlash because of that. Mm. Uh, but in the end, I kept coming forward with my values. It, so it's, it's somewhat, when I talk about values for me, it resonates as a why. Yeah. My values are the why. It might be something else that's the why for you. But if you bring that to the front, mm. your why, your values create then what you say, how you say it, what you say yes to, what you say no to. And what you're likely to, um, you know, what battles you're likely to choose as well. So, mm. for example, if I'm someone where I have a, um, you know, a, a value around honesty and integrity and authenticity, then then when I see something, I'm going to call that out, and I'm going to call it from that from that heart space. So, so there's a it takes a little bit of courage and clarity to do that. Yeah. Takes and some as I said, you might need some help with that. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of good points there. I think seeking out the services of a professional coach who gets you mm. and works with you um, is invaluable. I know so many people who have done that and I know some great coaches mm. as well. Um, another thing you said really struck with me. You said you'd have had some feedback about being too creative and not direct enough and you were criticised for that. So I am very direct, very assertive, um, I'm a less is more type person with my comms mm. and I've been criticised quite heavily for there that. You go. So that made me go, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, you know, the book Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, Mm-mm. I read it and I, and, but the lean in culture, like it's hard. Yes. I am a lean, I'm, I'm leaning in um, and I feel like, yeah, if you're a man and you display those behaviours, you're a leader. But if you're a woman, it's like, oh, you need... And it's yes. never a problem with me being nice. Like, I've always been very nice yes. and very likable. Yes. Um, it's more just because I'm so outcome-focused. Yes. getting shit done and getting the job yes. done is one of my top selling points, yes. right? Yes, yes. And people who get the job done often get criticised for being a little bit abrupt. And it's like, well, because I'm, you know... Like, or, you know, this person's pushing me too hard or yes. it's like, well, we want the outcomes. Yeah, this is exactly. how we get them. <laughs> exactly. And, 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 I, and the reason you're being criticised is because mm. you're moving away from a traditional passive feminine um, stereotype there. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're getting the criticism. And mm. so, um, and, and look, it, it's it, the criticism um, in some ways, if you were curious about the criticism – You'd, you'd be able to unpack that a little bit with that person. So so I always think, especially with negative criticism, mm. be more curious about that and, yeah. you know, you can you can do that. But but I think it's also um, you 
it's not about changing who you are if you've determined that's who you are it's it's but it's sometimes about just sort of expressing why you're who you are in a yeah. way and then again it's so there there will be some environments where you just don't flourish mm. there are and, and you know women are leaving corporate spaces corporate environments in droves you know if you look at the statistics around entrepreneurs in australia they are women in the main Mm. and they are 45 to 55 because they are leaving corporations they've just had enough and and unfortunately what that means is that they leave behind a leadership um, structure that is mainly masculine Mm. and i talk about women as being masculine too it's mainly those women and men who are who are kind of doing it in a masculine way in a more agentic way you know um and 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 that's unfortunate because that means you're not going to change culture there but but you know what maybe that's not a battle for you today maybe the bat because really i'm i'm very much into self-care i think that you have to um, you have to do what's right for you, and so for some women, it's just leaving and doing their own thing and setting up businesses and being fantastic at it. And I'm all for supporting women in yeah. business and entrepreneurs. And in fact, I set up a co-working space that really attracts that kind of person, yeah. the person who wants that more feminine environment or more nurturing, I should say, environment positive feminine environment yeah well I was telling you before we started recording um last week I went to a co-working space to interview another amazing woman who has her own business um and is killing it um so that's very interesting to hear that stat um because I am one of those women who's well I don't think I'm leaving corporate life behind because I want to be working with corporate customers but yes I am kicking off my own business not as a side hustle, but as a main hustle. There Yay, congratulations, <laughs> Tash. Yay. But yeah, I think for me, and you know, another thing you said earlier was you said women, um, people still have that idea about women that, you know, they're going to be having babies and that's going to take time away from the workforce or are they going to be wanting part-time? Um, are they going to be working from home? I think the working from home thing is no longer a thing well it's becoming not a thing anymore it's, I think we still have a bit of a way to go with yep. some uh, people who leave corporations who are expecting all their people to go back to the office five days a week um, guys <laughs> where were you the last exactly. year exactly um, but you know I yeah. think I think those type like the flexible work arrangement of working from yes. home is now that's available to everyone everyone does it because of COVID so we can maybe take that one out of it um, and a lot of yeah like I personally, I don't have children, so I was never someone who needed to work from home. So I rarely did it. I did it only if I really had to smash out some work and I just needed quiet time and didn't have many meetings. But yeah, I found it, I struggled with it um, at first, but now I love it. I've converted my spare bedroom into my office and it's just, I've got a sit-stand desk that's all set up and going back into the offices recently, I was like, where are the sit-stand desks? Exactly. Oh, <laughs> so where's not, the standard? Is this adjustable? Like, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, what I, where, where I was leading with that is I have reflected on my own career and I'm like, well, I don't have kids. I've never wanted kids. Um, that's just never mm. been something that I've wanted. Um, people who have kids, you do you. Very happy. F- I love other people's kids. But yeah, I'm not seeing the red carpet being rolled out for me mm-hmm. as a woman who's yes. childless either. So it's kind of like, yes. well, what's the go there, Mm-mm. you know? 
Um, so that's something that has, you know, popped in and out of my mind over the last few years because I feel like, and I have had, you know, biases creep in in interview questions. Like people don't, they can't say, oh, do you have children? But they sneak questions in. They might in expect you to, yeah, be to, in that range. And mm. Yeah, because they're thinking, oh, you look like, you know, you might be having kids or yes. maybe you've got, but they, they ask probing questions that try and get you to say if you have children and I find that really rude mm. and I don't think men get asked those questions. Yes. Like an example is, do you have any work-life balance requirements? Right. And I just say, well, my requirement is to have a work-life balance. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Um, yes. 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 Yeah. But I feel like that question is a, a way to check. Absolutely. Do you have children? Mm. Because then we can discriminate against mm-hmm. you. And I don't say no mm-hmm. because I'm like, oh, I don't want to let you know. It's That's rude. right. Exactly. But I've asked um, men who work in my field, I'm like, did you, did you get asked this? And they're like, no. <laughs> so there you go. Yes. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, that the pandemic has done, it has accelerated some of those trends. And, yeah. and look, you know, any business um, leader who – isn't on top of those trends is in a is, has got a, their heads in the sand because mm. it's here to stay flexibility as well as as well as flexibility in work. I mean, th- this whole idea that no job can be done as a job share or flexibly or part time is crazy. Mm. You know, I, as a manager, I would love two part time people who do one role because I'm getting two heads for the price of one. Yep. Thank you. You know, yep. so that the economics make sense, but yep. I don't know why there's still that kind of barrier. I think, and again, it is just about traditional ways of working um, Mm. and leaders who don't, who don't, kind of necessarily want to um, move um, forward on that. But, uh, but I think absolutely there is, there is lots of, um, there are, there are expectations of women um, just because of your sex Mm. and, and what people do is attribute a sex role to that sex. And so regardless of the reality of, of, you know, your life. So I think that that's, and and they are the absolute biases that we have to, we have to counteract all the time. The way that our current, or maybe, you know, a year ago, like you were talking about traditional work cultures, that traditional work culture is based on a 1950s, 1960s, where the woman stayed at home and was a housewife. Yes. And this was before appliances and were invented, like the refrigerator and the washing machine. And, you know, so there, it was a lot more labour intensive managing a home. And the husband would go out to work and the wife would, you know, cook and clean and, and raise the children. And then the husband would come home. That is what our work and office culture has been yes. based on since then. Yes. And our lives have changed and demands have changed. And women no longer stay at home um, as a rule. Um, they do so by choice, but most partnerships, you know, there are two professionals, but the work culture hasn't changed in line exactly. with that and it's been causing all of this pressure, mm. like, you know, childcare drop-off and pick-up and school pick-up and, you know, one and it forces couples to prioritise, take turns prioritising their careers, um, for example, and all of this stuff. And, yeah, it's just because that whole concept, you commute into the city, you work, you come home, it hasn't changed no. in, what is that, 60 years? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't make sense anymore. And yeah. you're right, we've, we're have we sort of pulling our hair out trying to make it work instead of changing the structure. So there are things you can do to change culture and structure. You can change the expectation of when work gets done. And, you know, yeah. last year with people working from home, there was some flexibility added to that, you know, so, and... Y- 
not everyone needs to start work at 9am mm. unless you're in a customer sort of facing role and there's yeah. an expert. Yeah. But most of us in service kind of knowledge roles, knowledge service roles, you don't need to start at a particular time. So we mm. can stagger that. You don't need to be in a location for every activity that you do. So there's lots of, we need to ask why we're doing it this way. Why are we doing it this way? Um, and but But the reason... The reason we don't ask why is because you do have men and women who are who buy, who are bought into that way of doing things in yeah. leadership positions. Yeah. So until we get more of a critical mass of women and men who think differently into those roles, you're not going to get that change of culture. You really it does it does unfortunately need to start from the top mm. and it does because it what it requires too is for those things to change and then for a deliberate opening up of opportunities. So the reason why, another bias I was going to mention, the reason why a lot of women don't advance in their careers at the same rate that men do mm-hmm. is because the men are often given an opportunity to, yep. adva- it, to, for example, do a special project, work with one of the senior leaders, get to know that person, you know, because they're working at a particular... They're usually seen as an op they're seen as and they're plucked out and given an opportunity so, and but the structure of opportunity for women isn't mm. the same there yeah. is a bias against giving women opportunity and it's because of all the things that we've talked about here yeah. so as leaders what leaders need to do is open up that to more transparency so, where are the opportunities this year? Who are we going to give it to? Have a conversation about it instead mm. of each leader just deciding on their own. Yeah. Because if each leader decides on their own, they, those biases will, will click in. And yeah. so, for example, when I was at Telstra, I ran the diversity and inclusion program with some of my um, uh, colleagues. And what and what we did is we actually did that at the senior leader level. We put in some policy where we said um, – if there are opportunities for strategic leadership positions, we need to have a conversation about it and gender needs to be part of that discussion before we assign someone to that role. And then what we actually did was assign some women to some of those strategic leadership positions because they are launching pads to getting into more senior structures. Correct. So that is the, that is the difference too. It's, it's our, you can't leave this stuff to chance. It doesn't happen by osmosis mm. because they are already – people in power have a vested interest in maintaining those ways of working because that's what got them there. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, to disrupt that, you have to get them to um, – Think about be, it. Yeah, yeah. Think, be very vulnerable and say, the reason I got here was through advantage. Yeah. Like, imagine owning up to that. The reason I got here was through – some kind of biased advantage. Well, Not everyone wants to own up to that. Yeah, I mean, I own up to that as, you know, I've talked about this on previous episodes of the podcast, but, you know, I'm a white Australian and I have an Anglo surname um, and all of my, you know, I went to university in Australia, all of my work experience is with Australian companies. So when people see my CV, they see Telstra, ANZ. BHP Billiton, you know, all these well-known Australian companies. They see my name. um, And, yes, I don't have male privilege, but I still have a certain amount of, you know, privilege, whether it's Australian privilege or white privilege or um, just by that fact. And that opens doors. Um, Whereas if you were someone who all your experience is from another country and, you you know, people don't 
look at the university and immediately know which university yeah. it is. Um, people don't want to give you a go. Whereas if you if they see all of these brands that they know well and they're like, oh, this person sounds great and it's, you know, it's unfair. Mm. Yeah. It is. It is. And, uh, and, and, you know, you have a self-awareness around that yeah. that other people won't have. Yeah. That's the that's the reality of it. And yeah. but we can bring some dialogue around this. You know, we can have conversations and we can if 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 there are leaders who really want to do something to change this, that's where it is. It's having that conversation. And I've seen these conversations really take shape and may have an effect. Um so you need the conversation and then you know, need to put in structure. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but I think women sometimes also have a particularly hard time admitting that, that they do have certain amounts of privilege, mm. um, whether it's coming from a wealthy socioeconomic background or whether it's race or, you know, even the country you were born in. Um, because Absolutely. we are, or, you know, and, and particularly this week with all the women's marches, we're getting so angry mm. um, about everything. But, yeah, <laughs> like sometimes women go, okay, I'm being discriminated against, but I'm not as discriminated against yes, as, it's a relative know, position. Correct. Correct. Um, yeah. So, coming back to something you said right at the start of this conversation, you said that your career advice was um, given to you when you were much younger Mm-mm. at the start of your career and you took you a little while to fully appreciate it. Yeah. What advice do you have for women who are starting out in their careers? Mm. You know, I, I think that the feminist revolution has done uh, – amazing things to the point where I see a lot of young women who are unaware of the power imbalances that they operate in. So they are they they've they've got the message that yeah. women can do can do it as well as men. They can do anything. Yeah. You, the world is your oyster, go for it. They got that message, mm-hmm. which is a fabulous message. Yeah. Um but to navigate organizational culture and the politics in organisations, and also to navigate a career, you need to be aware of some of the power structures that you're operating within, and you need to be aware of what you need to do to kind of create some resilience around that, because because that's the unfortunate reality that, that they're going to be thrown into. And I see a lot of women get really disappointed and so heartbroken at the first time some kind of bias occurs yeah. or the first time they're confronted with just yeah. some really like just disgusting male you yeah. know um situation like yeah. some some incredible bias or, or just some absolute you know even discrimination yeah. and they are surprised by that yeah. and so i'm saying don't be surprised by that be aware and create contraventions to that so mm-hmm. so create um, really think about who you are as a woman and where your power comes from. Your power needs to come from multiple bases. It need, it does need to come from the fact that you're young and you're energetic and you're you're going to walk in a room and people will notice you because you're young and you're you're new. When you're new to it to something, uh, there's new energy that you bring and that's fantastic. There's a power in related to that. Um, there is also power in what you know and your competency and how well you can express yourself. There's also power in the way that you can influence others and network and really build a structure and a support structure around you. And and what do you want to be known for? There's a power in that as well. There is a power in 
really expressing your authenticity. Mm. So connecting to your values early on and standing true to that and being very steadfast in that and ensuring that you're saying yes to the things that you really want to say yes to and it's okay to say no. A lot of women find it really hard to say no. Mm -hmm. It's okay to say no. If you have trouble saying no, then... Read William Urey, The Power of Positive No, and that'll help. Okay. But you really need a lot of you – know, women need to get over this, I can't say no. Oh, you need so to, hard. Yeah, I know. Because, because we have a communal orientation in the main. We're socialised to have a communal orientation. So we consider yeah. all of the uh, spider webs around us in every decision, whereas people with a more agentic or, or sense of agency, ag agentic orientation, will just think about, well, how does this differentiate me from others? So they're not going to think about others. And this is why we find it hard to say no. Because if I say no, then it will affect Mary and Bob and Harry and, you know, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. They rely on me. You know, people with an agentic orientation, don't necessarily think that way. So mm. so get over the can't say no, say yes, because, because if you respond with values, you can say no. So for example, Natasha, you might ask me to work this weekend and um, uh, to do some overtime, for example. You know, there's a, there's a marketing um, proposal, we need to get it done, there's something that, it, you know, something's happened and we can't, we have to get something done by Monday. And you're, uh, you're, you're my boss. You come to me and you say, we need to work this weekend on Saturday. Mm. Cancel your plans. You need to work. Mm. Now, I have a family gathering on Saturday yeah. and I already have not seen my family for a while and <laughs> uh, it's important and I've made a commitment to them. What do I do? I lead with my values. I'm family sorry. Comes first. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, well, yes and no, because work is important too. And mm. I don't want to – I don't want it to be an, uh, an us – a, a kind of win-lose win, win situation. Okay. So what I do is I say, Natasha, I appreciate that this work really needs to get done. I'm really committed to getting this done. You know how committed I am. I also have this value which where my family is really important and I've made commitments there and I'm the kind of person that really meets my commitments and I really hate to break my commitments. Mm. So already I'm expressing values to you. I've made a commitment to do something with my family on Saturday, which means I won't be able to work on the weekend. How about you help me? Uh, could we work out some other way of getting this work done? That means I, I can meet both commitments. So I'm saying no, no, but but there's a yes in the end because I'm saying to you, how about we work something out? I'm, pr I'm sort of yeah. open to another solution. Yeah. Whereas normally what a lot of people do is they go, just cancel the family commitment, I have to work. Mm. Yeah, you do that over and over again, and suddenly you're not living your authentic life. Correct, and you start to feel, yeah, not so great about your choices. Exactly, and you start to feel trapped in your choices. Exactly. But I mean, it would be a very unreasonable, per unreasonable person who didn't accept that. Even if somebody said, you know what, I'm happy to work late nights during the week, but I don't work on the weekends. Mm -mm. It's just how I roll. That's right. Um. Yeah, and I think as type A personalities, that's a hard one to work out. That's another reason I've put in the tick yes box for my own business because it's like, well, I do do all this work and it's going to benefit me exactly. and not some other you know organisation where they don't care about me at all. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think having to set boundaries like that because people always expect that women will just do all of this unpaid, exactly. unrecognised labour. Yes. Because that's how we get conditioned 
in life. That's right. Um, That's right. And so people are often very surprised um, when you say no. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you another example. I when I was um, very young, I was. Um, uh, in my in my 20s, I was a research fellow at a university, uh, research assistant at, for a, um, a health um, uh, research centre. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I loved the job and I was working with one of the professors very closely and we had to organise a, um, um, a kind of st- steering committee day where we were bringing the steering committee together. These are external stakeholders um, that fund the centre as well as provide us with sort of feedback so it was an important meeting I was charged with organizing all of the aspects of the meeting in terms of um, you know the agenda and the program I was going to be facilitating on the day so I had that kind of role and then the professor asked me to at the very last minute while I was organizing all of this she said um, could you uh, it was the night before I think could you go out and um, just grab some morning tea you know grab maybe a, a roll a uh, cake and then maybe cut it up and you grab the the coffee and then you, you can be responsible for that on the day and I said don't we have catering mm. doesn't this venue have catering yeah and she said well other research assistants have done I actually I was a research fellow other research assistants have done that and I said I said look with all you know due respect that's not my role yeah. Because what I was saying to her was, I can't be your tea lady if I'm going to be facilitating and leading this day. Correct. I'm Correct. not going to be, because I was the junior woman, she was relegating me to to, to the tea lady. No. It's no. not... It, so, <laughs> so I don't make teas or coffees for people and I don't take minutes. I am yes. a... And again, this has come up in... Pre- I'm a writer. I'm a pen and a notepad mm-hmm. person. And I often... And Old it doesn't school. happen. It hasn't happened since <laughs> we went remote. But when you walk into a meeting room and you're a woman with a notepad, people go, oh, are you going to take minutes? And I just say, no, I am not. That's not what I'm here to do. Yes. I'm just taking my own notes yes. um, on my own stuff. And uh, that, no. And then they look really shocked. And mm. it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> And so, and so if I'm feeling particularly sassy, I'll be like, is that something you can do? Yes, exactly. Men, and then they look so surprised, like, why would I do it? Exactly. I'm a dick. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, all good advice, all very good advice for young women. I think, yeah, mm. don't let yourself fall – because you want to be helpful and you want to make a difference. Yes. Don't let yourself fall into those no. um, sorts of roles. And if you're a man, mm. don't expect women to do that shit. That's it right. It's not okay. It's not okay. Um, yeah. I think if that's part of your job description, fine. But mm. if it's not, it's com- it's it's inappropriate to ask. Um, so before we wrap up, um, do you have anything you want to promote on the podcast, like one of your businesses, or have you got any speaking engagements coming up? Right. Oh, you know what? I I would thanks thanks Natasha. I don't have any speaking engagements, but post COVID, hopefully they'll start to uh, yeah. to, to occur <laughs> a little bit more. Um, no, but um, I would love to promote my um, consulting business, which is yes. geared for growth, yes. and um, I specialize in. Um, helping people achieve great effective teams and shaping culture in organizations so mm. um, so I'm, I'm I'm loving the work that I'm doing that I'm working with some fabulous teams there and also I run a co-working space and so yes. uh, and that's part of my passion of getting people to work differently you know and, and I set that business up before uh, last year where we were all yeah. working from home but um, so um, please come and um, check out Higher Spaces that's H-I-G-H-E-R mm. um, higherspaces.com.au and if um, if you ever if anyone out there just if you're in Melbourne and you just want a beautiful place to work where uh, you're amongst the Yarra River and beautiful mm. um, 
uh, trees and nature and but you've got some a beautiful working environment please let me know no it's gorgeous here and also across the road from Vic Gardens exactly <laughs> shopping <laughs> important Which I might talk to you later um, no thanks and yeah anyone who needs um, advice with their culture and their psychology of their business uh, get in touch with Josephine give for growth I'll make sure that's all in the show notes thanks. as well as higher spaces and it's yeah it's a beautiful beautiful space um thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast oh it's today. my that was pleasure a wonderful conversation <laughs> <laughs> thanks natasha it's my pleasure and remember if you enjoy the content on the podcast feel free to write a review on apple Podcasts. otherwise we'll be back next week with another episode thank you bye-bye